Hello, hello, hello. This is Samir Azizi and welcome to Azizi Podcast. I'm so happy and excited to talk to you guys. I hope everyone's doing well. We are in the year 2021 and uh, yeah, you know, the year is going with full swing. There's a lot of world events and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff happening and uh, including our podcast, you know, we're still going on and uh, yeah, other than that, you know, nothing else much, you know, nothing new happened, still sitting at home, still working from home, we are in a pandemic, everything is closed down, they also actually kind of talking, I'm hearing rumors about some sort of a curfew that they will implement in the city of Toronto, um, sometime after 8pm, I feel like we should, I think that's what they said uh, on the internet, that we will support, that we, we, we wouldn't, like, we are going to sit at home after 8pm, like, that's going to be a requirement, not even after uh, 10 p.m. Anyways, enough with this negative stuff. Everything else is pretty good. Um, what else? See, there's not, there's not even nothing new is happening. Anyways, but I just want to give a little bit of a call uh, to action. Please, ladies and gentlemen, subscribe to this podcast. Like right now, please do this. Open up your app where you're listening to this and click on that subscribe button. And also go to my YouTube channel, check it out. You'll see everything live, well, kind of live. You'll see everything in the video recording. You'll see our faces and our mimics and all of that, yada, yada, yada. Subscribe to that as well and enjoy the content. But I need those subscriptions, not because it will stroke my ego, especially on the podcasting side, on the audio side. You don't even know who subscribed or not unless you're really, really trying to figure this out. It will basically allow the algorithm to show my podcast to more people. The algorithm of the iTunes and Stitchers and Spotify's will think, oh my God, look at those people subscribing to this podcast. It probably is very interesting, hopefully. Let's just show it to more people. If it's so interesting, maybe more people will find it interesting and they will listen to it on our platform. Therefore, we're going to win from this and they're going to win for it. Anyways, so that's like a long proposition for you guys to subscribe. So thank you so much for that. And I appreciate everyone's comments. I appreciate everyone's support. Um, let's talk about my guest. It was an interesting one. So um, my guest this time, his name is Jesse Ota. He is actually a published author, the first published author though, that has been on my podcast. He co-authored the book along with Draj uh, Fozart that is called From Mindless to Mindful, How to Create a Memorable uh, service experiences, which is a pretty cool book. It's it's based in Canada. It's basically like kind of like a business book, but with more of a relaxed narrative, which is pretty cool. And uh, it talks a lot about you know the Toronto area, downtown Toronto, and you know the Greater Toronto area. So it was pretty cool to read because I never actually read something that is so close to my new home, which is Canada, uh, in particularly like Toronto. So that was pretty cool to read. And overall, there's a lot of cool advices. There's a lot of cool, you know, philosophies that I, you know, found in this book. So, you know, to have an author in my uh, cozy studio, uh, you know, and talk to him about his experiences and, you know, client success and customer experience and all of that. That was pretty awesome. So I hope you will enjoy that as well. Uh, Jesse Otta is also an agency. He's the agency co-founder at M2M experience consulting so i will provide a link to his service um as well he is um, a very experienced uh in uh, customer um experience yeah that sounded kind of weird anyways cool guy he knows a lot about customer experience and when you talk to him you know you actually feel better because 
that's he's one of those guys who makes you feel better when you talk to him and that's what i strive to be as well when people talk to me i want them to feel good as well so it was very awesome to like ask him questions about his experiences you know about his opinions how he handles certain situations what happened during his professional experience and uh yeah so check out his book check out his uh service uh, i'll send a link to his website check him out on um on linkedin as well and um yeah, I hope you'll enjoy the episode because I sure did enjoy the conversation. Oh, he also brought this VR headset because he's also a boxing fan. So he has this VR headset that he brought. I forgot how it's called. Um, and the, that headset has this game um, that's called Thrill of the Fight, I think. And it's uh, it's basically a VR boxing game. And he let me tr- he let me try it. And wow, you guys need to you guys need to try this this VR boxing experience. All this talk about boxing video games, it's all bullshit. You know, I think the future is in VR boxing games, not the PlayStation, not your Xbox or PC. I'm just telling you guys right away, guys and gals, try the VR experience and try the boxing game on that. Because that was so realistic and, I mean, obviously you knew that you were in a game, but the, the whole experience, like your brain basically thought that you are somewhere in the arena you know the it has the headphones you got the whole experience of the crowd the opponent and it's such a great workout so i actually tried it for like one fight and i really enjoyed it so definitely check out the thrill of the fight on vr something set up google it and so basically jesse thanks so much for bringing that to me i really enjoyed it and i hope i'll see him again very soon he also talked about his uh amateur boxing experience he actually tried to boxing uh, one time for charity event here in Niagara Falls so that's a cool story as well towards the end of our episodes so don't forget to uh, stay tuned and uh, listen to that story that's uh, it's quite an experience anyways that was probably the longest intro I've ever given for a podcast but totally worth it because the guy is special all right enjoy the episode everyone and don't, don't forget to subscribe all right bye And we're rolling. Jesse Ora, how's it going? It's going well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I just experienced, I guess, I think one of the best gaming experiences in my life. Just uh, kicked someone's ass in the Oculus VR or whatever the name of the VR setup that you brought me. I mean, it's it's fantastic. So thanks for that. I you know I want to talk about this a little bit in the in the, in the future. But first of all, I would like uh, to thank you for coming into my podcast because. Uh, we didn't know each other before, but we were mutuals on uh, Twitter, and uh, we were both fans of boxing, and uh, it was fantastic how, you know, we sort of started talking, and, uh, you know, you talked to my, my about my podcast and, and uh, expressed interest, so I was more than happy to invite you over for a little discussion. Yeah, yeah, no, it's my pleasure to be here, and I've, I haven't done anything like this before. I like to do different things to challenge myself, so I yeah. thought that this would be... Uh, Something that'd be a lot of fun, especially since we're both boxing fans. Exactly. And uh, yeah, something a little bit different, some some unique content. And on top of everything, you're actually a very exciting guy. Like you're doing a lot of cool things and you're a published author. You were kind enough to send me your book, which is, by the way, right here. I'm going to show it to everyone. From Mindless to Mindful, which you co-authored with uh, Drash Fozart. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I was reading that. It was uh, about uh, customer experience and just like the industry overall and what to do the best. So I want to like uh, talk to you about that and ask some questions. But I just want to, you know, talk about you a little bit. So let's just talk about you uh, for a second. Sorry about all this 
meddling. But so we are currently in Canada, and I as yes. I was as I was reading your book, it was so cool because it's it started so dramatically, like oh, there's like a person loose from the window at the Bay Street. <laughs> her, her Tiffany's bracelet and like sharp people in suits and all that. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! This is this is getting interesting. And the most interesting part that like right away caught my attention is that literally like I can see downtown from my window, right? And it's like, wow! Like this is the most Canadian thing I've ever written in my life, ever ever read in my life. So it's like it was awesome. And and then just to talk about like you guys talking about different businesses and uh, you know the resort in Niagara and uh, you know how your path was started in in the industry. So I just wanted to kind of like talk to you about that because your life started from you working at a car wash <laughs> so i just want you to talk a little bit about how you started there and how you ended up at the place where you are right now but before that let's just ask like what are you actually doing right now what am i doing right now well um i'm taking a bit of a break over the holidays <laughs> it's been a really hectic few months but what i'm doing now is um, i'm really focused on uh, and I have been focused in the credit union space and working with credit unions mm-hmm. on improving their level of uh, customer experience or in their case, member experience and other organizations as well. Um, so helping uh, different organizations with really uh, engaging with their customers and understanding them and then understanding their experience and then working to improve them. And I think about, you know, we, we all think about customer service and we know what makes good customer service. The thing that I, I talk about often is is there's a specific story and it, it involves my co-author and think about the book. The title is From Mindless to Mindful. Mm-hmm. And when we when we thought about the title and came up with the title, what we were were talking about is, you know, you go to the grocery store and the person's scanning the groceries when you're going to check out and they ask you, you know, is there anything and they're not making eye contact with you. Mm-hmm. They're busy. They there's they see hundreds of people a day. It's very understandable. So they're scanning the groceries and, and they ask you, you know, did you find everything you're looking for? And you could tell them, you know, I found a nuclear bomb in aisle five <laughs> and I'm planning to take that and I'm going to blow up a city. <laughs> and they'd just be like, great, because they go on autopilot. We you, all... You're going to blacklist my podcast, bro. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're, we're five minutes in and we're, we're finished we're already. We're bombing the world. <laughs> but it, it's true, right? We all go on autopilot and... And so uh, oftentimes we would go places and, and we'd worked uh, together. I'd worked for her at uh, Ontario's largest credit union. And we would go and do these presentations to different branches or branch manager groups. And we'd talk about this, like going on autopilot. And she was known as the queen of detail. Mm-hmm. So she would often say, you know, how many times... And you're going to think about this now too. So how many times at the end of the day do you end up in your driveway? You're sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and you think to yourself, wait a minute, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Right? I left work, you drive and you might've done the same commute for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But if I were to say to you today, try to find one thing that you haven't noticed before on your drive home mm-hmm. or on the commute home, on the train, whatever it may be. I guarantee every time, if you're looking for it, you'll find something you haven't noticed before. Mm-hmm. So after these meetings, we'd usually get emails, someone saying, oh, I didn't notice, you know, there's this red barn and whatever it was. And, and she'd talk about how retail is detail and how important it is to pay attention to the details. Mm-hmm. 
And so she has this giant whiteboard by her desk. It's about four feet tall, six feet wide. And then on the top in big block letters, it says retail is detail. And so the book had come out and I, we, so she was my boss and we, we wrote the book together. Right. Um, we have this really, we, we have this really great relationship. I tell her she's like the, uh, the second mom I never needed. Uh-huh. But, uh, she, she calls you the kid in the book. Yes. Or maybe yeah. you call yourself. I don't know. It's like the kid and, and you know, the, yeah. the banker. Like there's always like the little nicknames. Yeah. But you're, you're the kid in the book. I'm, I'm the kid. And, and, and so the kid um, was, was learning from the banker. Mm-hmm. So she has this, this whiteboard that says retail is detail. And it would kind of drive me crazy. She'd, I said, she's the second mom I never needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I already had a great mom. Now mm-hmm. I have a second one and it's just, it's a bit much. Mm-hmm. So she's always saying retail detail. So if something goes wrong, it's retail's detail. If something goes right, it's retail's detail. Mm-hmm. And so her being the queen of detail and me being the kid who likes to have a little bit of fun, I took the word detail and she walks by this whiteboard, by the way, like 20 times a day. Mm-hmm. So she'd be going into meetings and, and back out. And it might be 19 times a day for the days where she'd sleep at her desk. But uh, I wanted to test her. So I erased the word detail and I wrote Detroit. So it said retail is Detroit. <laughs> and then I started to take bets around the office to see how long would it take for the queen of detail to notice this. Because she's always talking about paying attention to details, right? Uh-huh. That's a ballsy move. I wouldn't go against my boss like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't work for her anymore. So I'm not going to say why. But no, no, this isn't why. So... So I take bets, and then two weeks goes by. She still hasn't seen it. Uh-oh. Someone new uh, was just hired, and he's getting a tour of the building, and uh, he gets to us, and we're standing in a, in a kind of like a circle, and she has her back to the whiteboard. And it's that point in the story where she's going to get in her whole bit about detail, and she kind of leans in, and I know that it's coming, and she's like, yep, and that's why I always say, and that's why it's on the whiteboard behind me. Retail is detail. He looks at her like she has three heads and says... So tell me, why does it say Detroit? The point of the story is, you know, when, when we wrote the book, thinking that, you know, the, that we're talking about the person that, at the grocery store, right? That, that goes into autopilot. Yeah. But I think if the queen of detail herself needs a reminder, we all do sometimes. And that's really the gist of it. Is, Real is human. We all know these things, mm-hmm. but it's just about the reminder and, and how do you keep these things top of mind? And, and mm-hmm. that's what's really important to me. You know, it's it's an interesting science because I'm I'm currently like I used to be an accountant and I've switched to more of a like a client success. My official position right now is client success manager, and it's relatively sort of a new industry for me. But I do understand, you know, the notion of you know the cliche quote unquote the client is always right, but there is a lot of truth in that as well because you know he or she is your client and you want to make sure that the client is satisfied, but. How to achieve that, it's always not as easy as people think. It's not enough just to be like, oh, you know, like just do the, you know, polite kind of like learned replics and all of that. You actually have to care. And I like that you guys really talked about, you know, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the client or your shoes of the customer and walk a mile in it and understand where they are coming from. Um, You know what, but what I was thinking as well is that right now, and especially like in my profession, a lot of interaction happens non-verbally it happens through chats yes and i just have an industry like that where a lot of people are tech tech savvy and they rather like not speak on the phone i mean they can but it's just so much easier to do that so you have to make sure that you're caring about your clients via just like uh, text messages and stuff so it's like a separate science on how to do that and you sort of elaborated that 
you touched upon that in the book, but I was wondering, like, have you had any thoughts since then, especially with this new age that we're going through? How how does this work with you guys? And uh, do you any of your clients talk about that at all? Yeah, and I think now more than ever, it means that there's a great opportunity for these things. They're more powerful because you have less face-to-face -face interactions, but there are times where it's really warranted. So people, do, you said that people don't want the face-to-face -face as much mm -hmm. until there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And when there's a problem, they want a person, a real person. So there's a really great opportunity there to build. When, when the, someone has a problem, it's, it's, a, it's more of an opportunity to solve it and then create a relationship that's, that's different. And they'll be more likely to have those face-to-face -face after. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not just that, but um, the bar is low, especially now when, when people are avoiding the face-to-face. -face. So talk about the clients that you have. And I think about, so if they're very tech-savvy and they mm -hmm. want to do everything online, but imagine, because they may not be used to this at all, you send them something as simple and it's just, it's so fundamental and basic, but a handwritten note. They're That's not true. expecting that. And, and that just shows it's the little things that make the difference. It's not the extra mile. It's the inches that make the difference. So mm -hmm. to be able to go and, and send them a handwritten note, something as simple as that, mm -hmm. it's going to be extra impactful because they weren't expecting it. It's not something that's on their radar. Um, they're used to digital. But when, it, when it's something that's tangible that they have and it shows that you, that you, that you cared enough, and you had the, the thought of them to do that, I think they would really appreciate it. So the thing that I talk about a lot now is that there's great opportunity because so many people aren't doing it. And then identifying, and, and it's, it's tough. You have to always be challenging yourself to look mm -hmm. for the opportunities to be able to connect in that way. Um, and that's what really, I think, makes a big difference. Why do you think, you know, it kind of makes me think right now, um, I went to one of the banks, I'm not going to name which bank, but, you know, I didn't, let's say, I didn't receive the best customer care I was hoping for, for like a, such a gigantic institution. You know, you would think, a, a, you know, a bank, you know, a well-known bank in Canada, for example, uh, is, uh, would have enough resources, you know, to actually make sure that they go through the whole, uh, you know, process of making sure that the customer is satisfied, that the customer knows that they care about uh, that customer. Why do we see sometimes big corporations still overlooking that? Is that a budgetary issue? Is that more of a maybe philosophy? I don't know. Do you like think about this sometimes? Do you encounter this problem maybe on your own terms? Because like maybe in your day to day, you can see mm -hmm. that and you can spot these things right away. I'm pretty sure. Like, what do you think about those situations where this is not being implemented? Sometimes it can be a one off. And especially right now, there's people that have a lot of pressures Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of additional challenges for people that are on the front line dealing with the public. So um, I think there's a bit of burnout that's, that exists that's there. Mm -hmm. And it could be those, those one-offs. I think a lot of the companies are dedicated and they are looking at it. But it's, it's especially difficult when you have, like you said, it's a larger organization. There's more scale. Mm -hmm. um, it's extra important to be on it. But then, again, I go back to thinking about the opportunities. So... At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to drop the ball. Mm -hmm. And in your case, you had a situation where somebody at some point in, in your experience, in your interaction, they dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also a really natural thing for people to do and, and say you, you did drop the ball to so shy away from it. You kind of remind me of that example uh, towards the end of the book about the... 
the the customer was talking with uh, with this lady who was working in this organization, and and the customer was like very like read the book if you want to like actually hear the phrase what he said. But she she <laughs> snapped back at him really quickly, and that that was kind of funny that I read. But uh, that's uh, <laughs> I guess that's something that can happen sometimes as well. Yeah, that that and, and there's two things I guess. So one is people shying away from it, and they don't want to. Whether they don't, they're embarrassed. They don't want to admit that there was a mistake, mm-hmm. but not understanding. And I think you need to be able to push yourself at least once to see, mm-hmm. to say, if I really screwed up. Say it was me, and I really screwed up. I know that I did. Mm-hmm. If I were to just call you and say, "Hey, you know what? I feel really bad about this. Mm-hmm. What can I do to make it up? As long as it's something within reason. What can I do or to acknowledge? Just the just the simple act of acknowledging that there was yeah there was a problem that's there." So doing that, I think, is is really helpful, and that could be in and of itself a great opportunity. And when you see how the person would react, you may be surprised mm-hmm. to see that they're opening, they're, they would welcome that with open arms. So I think that's that's really one great opportunity when when things like that happen because they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. That it's 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 an opportunity oftentimes to build a relationship. And then the other thing I think about you mentioned earlier was the customer is always right, and people really get themselves into problems with that as well, where mm-hmm. they're actually going too far beyond. And I think about credit unions. So we think about uh, membership mm-hmm. and oftentimes people that are in the credit union industry, they're so driven to uh, work for their members. And sometimes we forget that it's the membership that's important over the member. And what I mean by that is that each individual person is important, mm-hmm. but if there's somebody who is a customer who is taking resources away from all the other ones that are reasonable, then sometimes it's okay to draw the line and say no. And that's tough for some people to do mm-hmm. that are really customer centric. There, there's a difficulty with saying no. And sometimes that's the best thing to do for all of the other customers that, mm-hmm. that really appreciate the hard work that you do every day. Um, and then understanding where that boundary is and not just that, but people oftentimes are, uh, get conditioned to being okay, uh, with, um, a customer that's abusive to them. And, mm-hmm. and, and so there's, there's boundaries as well. And, and being able to say no when it's appropriate, I think is, is something else that sometimes people miss. Cause it's just, that's pounded into people's psyche is mm-hmm. the customer is always right. Well, sometimes they're wrong and sometimes we've got to say no to, mm-hmm. um, you know, not to say that we're going to be mean to them, but just to to draw the line a little bit. You know, it's uh, it's funny because we're mentioning you know large corporations, and then you know we we like I read about examples in the smaller establishments uh, about customer care, but then there's also like face to face retail, right? You're talking with the person, and then there's like just a an online one, and I feel like there's a huge difference in that. But I'm I'm afraid that sometimes it just comes down to how much free stuff you can give me. You know what I mean? And it's just, uh, and that's what I'm thinking. Like, is that a huge part of it? As this can be abused? For example, the best, which is, I know Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime, you know, a lot of people, you know, right now are not fan of Amazon Prime for social reasons because, you know, they're taking the jobs and all of that. But somehow a huge corporation like them, it's like that Apple experience, right? Uh, they have an amazing customer service when you, when you uh, call them. And for me, usually the only reason I need, you know, a real customer care is, is when I need my money back. And yeah. so Amazon, it's funny, but they are, you know, they're very quick on that. You're like, okay, well, we'll refund you, no problem. Or like, I remember once I ordered watch uh, in a box and then I opened the box, there's no watch there. And they're like, oh, sorry about that. We we're going to send you a new watch, you know? So 
And then I'm thinking like, is customer care like, there's like two types of customer care. When you want to complain and you want to reward, you know, you want to get compensated. And then there is customer care where you actually did not expect a nice thing and you provided. And I feel like that's what you guys mentioned in the book as well. It's like, you know, like uh, I, I went to this establishment, I went to this business and, uh, you know, we wanted to be in the seven to eight rate on the, on, on the scale that you guys provided in the book. But the point is to be at, at the nine to 10 where, you know, you are a satisfied customer, but then, you know, the business went uh, extra mile and provided you with so much care that you actually, you know, we want to call your mom or your friend and say like, hey, you know, they're, you know, I want to recommend, right. you know, this, this business to you. So I feel like that's, like there's different scale of customer care. Yeah, and I think some people do, t like you said about giving things for free, and, mm -hmm. and some people do take advantage. On the whole, I think most people don't. Mm -hmm. But they do, and you mentioned Apple and Amazon, and I think of Wayfair as well as a as a really great example. They do a good job of taking a step back and looking at the relationship as a whole. Mm -hmm. So does it make good sense to give this thing to this person? And you think, you know, you mentioned you call Apple when you need money back, essentially. But mm -hmm. how many Apple products do you have? Right. right. I see that you have a MacBook Pro. Exactly. Um, so for them, if they're going to give you something back. I'm already a club member. They're, exactly. And they're going to they're going to understand that. Um, what makes the most sense for this relationship? And, and there's a great example of, it, of this. So uh, I actually have two specific examples and I don't like to talk about the negatives, but I have mm -hmm. a really good one to, to follow. But um, there was, I, I'm not like really into luxury goods and that, but my, mm -hmm. my wife, she, um, she really wanted to get a Louis Vuitton bag. And that's a great example that I'd like to share with you after. But first I <laughs> want to tell you about, and which made me such a huge fan of what they do. Mm -hmm. But then I think of what happened after. So she ended up buying this bag, but she didn't buy a shoulder strap for it. So I was going to surprise her by mm -hmm. buying the shoulder strap mm -hmm. uh, as a gift. So I ordered it online and it's kind of a long story, but long story short, it wasn't going to arrive in time based on what they initially had promised. And it was for her birthday. So I called and essentially the, the, the strap, I forget exactly how much it was, but my assumption is the production cost was maybe about like 50 bucks and say they're charging like 300 bucks for the strap, okay? Mm -hmm. So there's a pretty big margin here. I don't have an account with them because I've never bought anything from them prior to this experience, mm -hmm. um, but she did. So um, I'd called and they said, well, if you had an account, we could like send you another one or whatever it is. And I'm just saying to them, look, like I didn't receive this in time. I'll send you the other one back. Mm -hmm. what is your loss really going to be in this case if you were to send me a second one? I'll send the other one right back to you. I'll bring mm -hmm. it, to, I'll drive it to the store. I don't care. But for this purpose right now, I badly need this because right. her birthday is on the weekend and now it's Friday. And, mm -hmm. and so uh, they wouldn't send it to me because mm -hmm. the person that, was, that, that I dealt with was worried that they were going to lose Mm -hmm. on that specific item but like look at what they would lose after as to lose a customer right exactly so um they did a really poor job of just taking a step back mm -hmm. and looking at the situation as a whole to say you know what we could lose say a hundred dollars of production cost mm -hmm. but if we were to really wow this guy imagine we could get another strap to him and overnight it uh, what would that impact be long-term for us? It'd exactly. be massive. So you know what? I'm going to take that $50 risk and I'm going to overnight him mm -hmm. another purse strap. 
That's right? that's a great example. Do you think it's one of those things uh, that you discussed in the book where you're talking about giving an autonomous, uh, or how do you say, independency to uh, to the employee to actually make these decisions and not, you know, because I feel like there was like some risk that, that this person can get in trouble. Yes. If she or he will do it, you know, on their own. So I, I feel like that's that might be the case as well. Do you think that's that's widely kind of like a, a problem like that where you sort of try to blame the person on the phone, but it's really not their, not them to blame. It's just the culture at the workplace. Yes. Yeah, of course. They're afraid. Right. And, and they don't have the ability to take the step back because they're they're really afraid. I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What's going to happen? Um, instead of finding their their leadership team to find the opportunities to celebrate, say, you know what, you took this risk, mm-hmm. and look at what it look look what you've done because of this, right? Mm-hmm. So, and if it goes bad, not to be so hard on them, but find those opportunities. I mean, if it becomes a chronic problem, well, you might have yeah, it's a different situation. Yeah, yeah, you might have a performance issue, mm-hmm. but to celebrate when they do something like that and to make them feel comfortable to say, it's okay to do this. Mm-hmm. So then I can contrast that with the really positive experience that I had with them. And like I said, I don't like to talk about the negative, so I apologize because, you know, <laughs> I, that, that it's important it's, to mention. It, it is what it is, but so, but That's, they did something amazing. Okay. So we were going to Paris and she wanted to get this specific bag and she's really excited about this. And she had never been to Paris before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have a friend who lives in France who does, uh, that I met through actually in the creation of another book, but mm-hmm. um, that uh, that I met, we we, um, we hit it off. And so my friend, she does cooking tours, culinary tours in Nice, France. And she also does these uh, food tours in Paris from time to time. She'll go up and do these uh, tours. So I just sent her a message. I said, hey, Rosa, we're heading out. These are the dates. We'll be there if you'd mm-hmm. like to meet for lunch. And mm-hmm. by coincidence, she was there. And I knew, like, you know, she'd know the great places to go and eat and everything, right? Right, right. So we go and we meet for lunch. And we, of course, like being Canadian, we bring her maple syrup. Yeah, that's that's a must. Just, just a, I take it everywhere with me if I'm traveling abroad. So I have to. Of course. Have so, right? to have you, a maple like syrup. You, you, yeah. I mean, people are expecting, <laughs> you know, to share the, the Canadian, Canadiana. So we bring her maple syrup. And she gave us this gift. It was this beautiful... Uh, so she'd explained it was her friend who who hand makes these bowls and mm-hmm. then hand paints them in Paris. Mm-hmm. So it's this beautiful, thoughtful gift. And uh, and then so we part ways. And now my my girlfriend at the time she's so excited mm-hmm. to get this bag. And so she had been texting uh, like back home like to like my mom and her mom to say hey like I'm gonna go and get this bag now and everything. Uh-huh. And so there's all this build up to get the bag and we get to the store. It's in the Champs Elysees. It's like the flagship store and there's a lineup and it's kind of like a nightclub. There's like this jacked up guy out front with the earpiece and wow. he's, <laughs> so we get to the front of the line and he, he gets to us and he says, what's this that you have in your hand? And I wasn't prepared to answer. I'm like, uh, it's a, a cup, a, a bowl. And did, he's did like, you try just, to use your French or no, 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 I wasn't. I, I was like, just stunned. I'm like, I don't know. What, I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> And he just laughs at me. He's like, okay, just go inside. So they do a great job in the store of lobby management. They uh-huh. have somebody who's walking around and this guy approaches us and he asks us what we're looking for and she's excited. She tells about the bag and he says, oh, my colleague, Sarah, I'm just going to use the name Sarah. Mm-hmm. Sarah, she is amazing at what she does and she knows everything about those bags. You're in luck. She's with a customer right now. If you just give her a few seconds, uh, I'll make sure that she sees you next. So the selling already started. Already amazing, right? 
And then he goes on and says, you know, you must be thirsty. It's a hot summer day. What would there you like you to drink? A mimosa? Mm-hmm. Do you want a, a champagne or would you like some water? It happened to me at Tiffany's. They offered champagne. I was like, well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a very, very nice gesture. Mm-hmm. And so we're Canadian again. So we're just like, oh, no, we're, we're fine. We're fine. He's like, no, no, I'm at least going to bring you some water. So really kind. He brings a tray out. And it wasn't long after that she's with us. So she asks again what we're looking for. And she stops and says, what is that that you have in your hand there? And I was more prepared this time. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this. Well, this is a, a bowl. And I explained the history mm-hmm. of the bowl and everything. And she says, do you mind if I see that? And I said, no, absolutely. So I, I hand her the bowl. And she says, I'll be right back in a moment. And she takes off. And I'm thinking like... She just stole your bowl. Am I going to get my bowl back? <laughs> this bowl has already been through a lot. <laughs> so she comes back, and the most unexpected thing happens. She has a Louis Vuitton shopping bag, uh-huh. and there's tissue paper sticking out. And she says, what you received isn't a gift. This is a treasure. There's only one bag in the world that's worthy to hold a treasure like this. And she gives me the Louis Vuitton bag. How wow. does that make you feel? Makes you feel very special. And what did that cost the company? Absolutely nothing. Fifty cents, maybe for this for the time paper bag. The bag, yeah. That I still have to this day. I I was the one who ended. So so she ended up getting her bag and everything. Yeah. But the most memorable thing in our whole trip to Paris was that fifty cent bag. Yeah. That cost nothing. And look at you, like right now, telling you the story about them publicly and basically, you know, still sell. Selling, you know, their stuff for them. Yes. That's the effect of the network like, yes. that they're creating with them. And like I said, everybody drops the ball sometimes. So yes, there was a negative experience, but <laughs> that totally outweighs it. It, it was incredible. Absolutely. So, uh, and that's my first interaction with the brand as well. And, and that's another thing that I think is really important is, and maybe it's because my background is from banking, but I think mm-hmm. about a relationship as like an emotional equity bank account. Mm-hmm. And the balance, so me walking into that storm, the balance was at zero. So it's so easy for me to have a, even a mediocre experience and say, oh, whatever. Right. Right. I had no interest in the brand before, none at all. Mm-hmm. But they started that emotional equity bank account with uh, quite a few coins. And every good experience you have is like putting another coin in. Mm-hmm. The challenge is the negative experiences, like the one with that strap, it's like taking two back out, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough to keep that that balance high, you know, and then time works almost like negative interest, right? So you kind of forget. I mean, the the the, the paper bag thing I'll never forget. That was amazing. But <laughs> it's crazy, huh? Like a like a yeah. small thing like this, forever. It kind of it reminds me when you say negative outweighs the positive. There was a psychological study basically where you're investing, and you know, if you're actually getting hundred percent return, uh, you're actually not as happy as if you were like the the next return basically the as it goes up you're not as happy as if you're losing the same amount of money. Yeah. So your emotion, the negative em- emotion when you're losing the same amount of money is outweighs the, ne- the positive emotion when you're gaining the same amount of money. So that's why, yeah, negatives are affecting us for some reason way worse than, you know, than the positive things yeah. affecting us for the good. Well, which... I, I see that. I mean, in the seminars and workshops that I do, mm-hmm. oftentimes I'll start and I'll ask the participants to um, just to think about the first thing that comes to mind, whether it's a positive or negative customer experience of themselves out in the public. And, um, and then I also see this. So when we had wrote the book and come out with it, all like family and friends, it was like, I became a, a customer experience therapist. Like they mm-hmm. all wanted to tell me about their experiences. Like you won't believe what happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, it'd be like, you have okay, to judge. take a seat on the couch. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's work through this. 
So, um, so, but when it was the negatives, you see people's body language yeah. and you see them. They, it could be something that happened. If I ask people this and I do a workshop, like I did one very recently with a credit union. It was, it was virtually, but they're in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And I'd asked about the negative experience and someone was talking about their husband's haircut. And it happened like five, 10 years ago. And they were still like enraged about this situation <laughs> and how their family was treated in this barbershop. But you right. see that and, and the people that get really upset, the, mm -hmm. the, the negatives, and they're really quick to find those negatives, but the positive experiences, sometimes it's more difficult to get that out of mm -hmm. people. But, mm -hmm. um, and especially now, I mean, like I said, people are going through tough time. They're quicker to anger. So um, it's a good reminder to, to, for all of us to scale back a little bit and take mm -hmm. a step back and say, okay, is this thing really worth getting this upset over? Absolutely. Yeah. So given that you've uh, written a book about this, tell me about the process of actually writing a book and publishing it. Uh, because, I don't know, I feel like that's... Uh, I am excited because you're the first person, a published person, who uh, is a guest on my podcast. So like, I'm very excited about that. So I wanted to ask you, how did the whole process happen? Because maybe potentially, like, maybe I can write a book at some point or something right. like that. But I don't know what, where to go through. Like, how, what, how was that experience for you? Yeah, it was an amazing learning experience, um, and it was it was. I'm so glad that I was able to do this. Uh, I was I was just fortunate to kind of fall into it, and then not only that, but to have the mentor, um, right? Someone was... who really means something to, to who who was the one that that um, really and. Um, help to make this a, a real reality which is your co-author my co-author yeah. yeah and so um having like you know doing that as a team especially was was um was the the best experience mm -hmm. but the, yeah there was a lot that i learned through the process so beginning from you know when she had first suggested this to me i didn't understand the publishing industry i had no idea how any of this worked uh, but we worked and, and our focus was on customer experience so when uh, when she had suggested this to me, I was thinking, you know, that's great, but why don't we also build a Falcon X rocket and, and fly to the moon <laughs> with Elon Musk? Because that'd be a that'd be a really great thing to do too. Who writes a book and gets it published? So um, uh, what I didn't understand, she actually had a connection to a publisher. Mm -hmm. She had guest authored a chapter in um, in another author's book, but she just she'd never told. I didn't know about this, right? So. Mm -hmm. Uh, long story short, we had uh, we put together this idea for this book. We talked about what are the the most important things that people do need reminders of in terms of delivering that experience, mm -hmm. and that for that formed the basis of of the the backbone of the book and and the direction of it. Um, and then we took that to the publisher, and we we put together a proposal for them um, with chapter titles. Mm -hmm. of chapters if we had chapters but the thing was we didn't have anything done at all so it was just we, like an we idea had a proposal. You guys were yeah yeah we had this great uh, what we thought was a great idea mm -hmm. uh, this proposal that we had put together with chapter titles assuming we had them this is what they would look like mm -hmm. and uh, and then a sample of of some of the writing and that was it so we brought it to the publisher, but their understanding was that this was something that was done. And a few weeks later, they reached out and they said, hey, like, can you send us your finished manuscript? Uh -huh. So we thought, okay, we have a good opportunity in there's, front of us. There's interest. We don't, we don't want this to, to, we don't want to lose this opportunity. Mm -hmm. So we kind of bent the truth a little bit and we said, well, look, we're about 90% of the way there. Mm -hmm. 
we don't want to send it to you until it's something that we're comfortable with. So how long could you give us? Uh, and so this is in, I believe it was June. And they're like, well, September would be the absolute latest. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh yeah, no problem. Well, so you had basically two months, two to, two to three months. We had just a few months to write the down. entire thing. And they <laughs> thought we had something that's not, and, and we didn't know, you know, we thought they're going to maybe take the manuscript and say, this is a pile of garbage. We don't want to publish it. Right. Right. So the other interesting thing was, uh, and at, I mean, I had my friends and, they're wanting to go out on the weekends and have a good time and everything <laughs> else. But I didn't tell them about this <laughs> okay. because I didn't know, like, you know, the publisher doesn't like it. And then you don't want to tell them I'm writing a book. And then like, they will ask like, so what happened? Like, nah, yeah, nothing ever happened. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but I was spending all of my time after work every day on the weekends. My entire weekends were just solely dedicated to this for those months. Mm-hmm. So my friends, they actually were really worried about me. They thought I was depressed because they'd be <laughs> knocking on, on my door, banging on the windows, like, come on, it's Friday night. Let's go to the bar. Right. So and, uh, really quick about that. Yeah. When you write a book, let's say in your case, are you like, uh, like you're actually typing stuff or you're recording yourself and then like, kind of like you're trying, cause I saw it in the movies, people like record themselves with the, with the microphone, with like a dictaphone. And then they will just do the transcript. They can like, send it off or like do this themselves. Like what, what's your style? Yeah. Everybody is really different on that. And, and uh, or sometimes like you just hire a ghostwriter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I enjoy the writing. Um, and for me, I'm not the most disciplined person in the world. So uh, what would happen? And I said like, you know, I worked every night mm-hmm. and on the weekends, but what happens is as a procrastinator, I'd be working on this you know, after work, right to the end. But it would be more like I'd start it like when I'm supposed to be going to bed and that's when I really get started, right? Uh So for me, I know I didn't dictate into anything. It would just be typing and Uh then uh, I'd kind of formulate the idea so I'd work on it chapter by chapter and we would split the chapters in two. So it was written from the perspective of the banker Mm -hmm. and the kid. So my experience as a kid, the things that I learned working at a car wash from when I was 14 years old and then uh, my co-author as a bank exec. So we had that contrast. So I would start and I'd work on my chapter. So I'd kind of formulate, okay, here's the three things that I would kind of hit. Mm-hmm. And then I would just begin typing. And I, did, I would do it on the laptop and then come back. And there'd be tons of edits and revisions and things. But that's that's how I would, I would get started, um, usually really late into the night. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because the style of how it's written really kind of like seemed like a movie in my head because... But like more of like a movie that like I would say Guy Ritchie would do or something like that or like because you can see like okay here's the same story from a different perspective right? Right. and then like there's like a background music yeah. it's like I don't know it's just like the whole interview process how you know your co-author she talks about how she interviewed you and then you like show your perspective how you first met her and like you know she was asking you the same question several times and you were like all confused about it and I don't know it's just it was funny how uh, you show both perspective on and exactly this whole thing with the kid and the banker, right? How the, yeah. you know, how it's all plays out from a different angle. So I really like that style. I, I'd never kind of read something like that, but it was so like, I, I was reading it like in the images somehow, like I was like reading it and it seems like you're watching a movie, something like that, like an instruction, like something like you're about to go in a heist, something yeah. like that. <laughs> well, our goal was to be a bit different, right? So yeah. you, you've read business books and it's like, you know, and, and, and oftentimes it's this, it really, what it is, is it's a lot of similar material that you've heard before, but it's packaged differently. And whether mm-hmm. it resonates with you or not is how it's presented. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of times people will, authors will, in the, when they're writing business uh, mm-hmm. titles, they'll create models 
and it's a straightforward information, all the facts and no flavor. Mm-hmm. But we wanted it to be a little bit different in that sense where it's it's engaging and not just for some people will aim and target their books for, say, it's senior executive, senior management. Mm-hmm. Others, it would be for just the front line. And we wanted it to be accessible to everyone. So there's something for the senior managers who could pull things out, some, some really important themes and maybe develop content around that um, or a focus around some of those themes. And then someone who's frontline can relate and understand to those stories. So it was written so that it could be approachable to any, anybody at any level. Right. And also that it wasn't just dry where it's just models and it's, it's real life. That's what it is. Yes. It was, it was a casual style of narrative. Like it's, it wasn't the dry language. It was really like a nice, you know, like a day to day talk. Like you could actually like, anyways, good job on that because it really felt related, you know, like you're, you're like talking to a person like we're talking right now. Um, what else? I had like another question, but I sort of like flew my mind away. Um, are you? Oh, okay. Here it is. So you've mentioned that you're doing consulting services right now, and I'm I'm wondering if you're seeing patterns right now in the companies like with your clients that you're working with. Um, if you can maybe elaborate on what is the like the main problems that you can spot right away very often in the companies, and maybe you have some sort of approach. And I don't want you to give out any of your you know um, you know sp- specific proprietary stuff, but like. How do you, I guess, evaluate your client when they need help? And what is the first thing that you're looking at when you're trying to help your client? And, and of course, like what are their main problems that they approach you with right away? So main problems, um, I would say just right now there's current challenges with the pandemic. That in itself is there's a lot of issues mm-hmm. that come uh, out of that. So part of it right now is not just so looking at the the outward experience it begins with the experience in the room. It begins with the internal culture and the internal experience. So, what are what are acknowledging what that what that front line, mm-hmm. uh, those that are delivering the experience are going through, and I think that's really the f- the first key right now is is looking at that. It, it always is the most important, and the very first thing to look at. But more than ever, it's really critical because there's a lot of stresses that those people are going through. So uh, it's it's alleviating and getting out of their way, mm-hmm. um, and and really showing that they're supported. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's that's absolutely critical, um, and that's that's really what I'm seeing is so is, showing is a that challenge. the frontline workers are supported. So showing that they are being supported. Yeah, if if they're not having a great experience, how can you expect them to deliver that forward? Right. Right. And 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 I I really think that that's the first thing. And then. Um, from my perspective as well, the work that I do is is really engaging with the customer and, and getting an understanding because um, it's it's a little bit different when it's a third party that's asking impartially and you may get some different answers because a lot of people say, like, I, I know my customer. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, But then when you find out that your customer may also be dealing elsewhere, do you really know them? <laughs> right? And so you might know them. You might know... The other thing that I find that's quite often is, is yeah, people know their customer. They know they can tell you their kids' names. They can tell you what their dog's name is, all of mm-hmm. these different things. But do you know their goal? And usually if I say, if I were to say, take out your top 10 or 10 random customers from your customer list and um, tell me about what you know of them, I'll ask them that question and they'll say, you know, 
they'll tell me these things, these very personal things that they have these amazing relationships. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, like let's just say banking. So what is their, what are their financial goals? Mm-hmm. And then this is the look that I get. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. So understanding, um, them. And so, so getting, engaging with them and getting a better understanding of what they're looking for, um, is, is a really great f- first step in that process. Right. I guess I, I think the hardest part then if I was, you know, a client and I would be like, well, how do I like, do I just ask them questions? Like that sounds a little noisy, like to, to like yeah. get like this. So I don't know. How do you, and I feel like that's where the nitty-gritty of the main work is, is how do you do this but not invasively, like you're not. Right. So I think that's the the hardest part about being kind of friendly and available and getting that information from them so that you can assist them, but at the same time, you don't want to be creepy. Exactly, <laughs> yes. But also, you think you have that relationship. If, when you have that relationship built up, you've earned the right. Mm-hmm. Not to be creepy, of course. You never, <laughs> you never earn the right. It's like, what about Bob, like Bill Murray? You yeah. don't show up at their cottage, you know, <laughs> Don't be creepy. Don't be weird about it. But you earn the right, and they're they're seeing you for a reason, uh-huh. right? If you're working at a bank or financial institution, they you maybe assume that they know what you do, but they don't, and they're there for a reason. So mm-hmm. it it'd be oftentimes a relief from the customer's shoulders if you were to ask them. Or or another thing that I see often is, um, and like I said, I, I maybe I, I'm focused too much on the banking, but. Um, people will understand their banking system, the employees, the front line. Mm-hmm. They can do the transactions with their eyes closed. They know the system and everything else. And they're conditioned to a, maybe a really busy time. So then if it's a little bit slower and they're seeing the customers, um, they, they, for them, they, they're already conditioned to like getting the person in and out is good service, which in most cases it is. But mm-hmm. again, you know the customer, right? You know that person, you know their kids' names. You get a sense of if, if they're not in a rush, it could take a little bit of extra time to talk to them, mm-hmm. to get to know them a bit and say, hey, you know what? I notice it's not that busy right now. Something as simple as saying, is there any questions that you have that maybe, you know, you, when it's busy, you don't have the time to ask? Just being open with them and, and you'd be surprised at what they may say. Mm-hmm. Or to say, hey, did you know about this? Did you know ex- that we offer this? And maybe they had no idea. So just some like really simple things right. like that to educate um, and to build that connection. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think yeah, if you've earned the right at a certain point and you you know and and, and you should you 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 want the, at the end of the day you want their business because um, you can take care of them better than anybody else. So why let them go somewhere else? Fantastic. I, I can totally see you know the. The, the kind of like the science, the social science behind it and, you know, how important it is and how tough it is sometimes to actually achieve that. Uh, but at the same time, the, the rewards are magnificent, uh, you know, to retain the client, to make sure that the client is happy. It's, it's great. You know, we talk so much about the financial industry and the industry of uh, client uh, care, customer care. But, you know, you came in here with this gigantic set of VR uh, <laughs> set, you know, and you just gave it to me. You, you texted me like, hey, I'm going to bring this, you know, we're going to virtual box. I'm like, what the hell? Let's do this. And uh, let me just actually show that on camera if you don't sure. mind. Uh, so that's, this is the thing. And uh, does it have like a zipper? Yeah, yeah, there's like a little tab there on oh, the side. Yeah. So this is how it looks, everybody, if you're watching. Uh, well, I noticed that you were into video games. And I know, yes. like, 
current generation of video games is way too complicated for me. So yeah, so basically, it's, it's basically a helmet and uh, two handles. And the funny thing is, once you put it on, the VR systems are so advanced right now that you basically sort of like drew a, a square around my room, about my little sp small space, and you could actually feel yourself in the ring. Like when you, you're watching this and you're actually in the fight with the, uh, you know, with the virtual opponent, but how realistic it is. You, know, you actually see yourself at the, in the ring in front of like thousand people there. And I don't know, I honestly, for a person who never tried VR, I only tried it like at uh, Best Buy. I knew that was like some some kid stuff, but uh, I'm very impressed by that. And uh, I feel like this is the future. And I feel like boxing is really like this boxing game is what? What's the name of the game, by the way? Thrill of the Fight. Thrill of the Fight. I, I, it's really great for like physical fitness and uh, overall just experience is very I don't know very new to me. So I feel like that's I don't know. So that's something that that we can definitely see in the future more and more. And it's funny because in boxing. There's a lot of talk about the new boxing video game because I never played a boxing mm -hmm. video game, but they always say like when there's like a fight night or whatever, the second part or like fourth part or whatever. But I feel like the VR is the future for boxing games. And uh, I feel like licensing for the likeness of uh, uh, famous boxers should go there, except like instead of different uh, like PlayStation games or something like that. But anyways, I just want you to, I just want to thank you for bringing this <laughs> and showing me. It was really a lot of fun. And I'm literally considering buying this uh, this whole setup just for that. Uh, also keeps myself in shape, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so wild, <laughs> especially, like I said, I'm not a video game. Like, I like the old school, like, Nintendo, yeah, Super yeah, yeah. Nintendo and stuff. But I tried this out, and it just blew me away because games are so complicated now. Mm -hmm. But in this VR environment, it's it's more realistic. So, for example, there's a game where there's a zombie apocalypse. Right. And... I you know at first person shooters I couldn't figure out how like there's too many where's the PlayStation remote there's too many buttons on this thing right exactly so uh, if you could pick up a gun in real life and shoot it you could play the game because yeah. it's it's everything is very realistic mm -hmm. so I just thought for the average person now that the price of these has come down and the, and the technology has come to a point where yeah, you, you said it's like four hundred bucks yeah it's four hundred bucks mm -hmm. you don't Canadian. need to hook it up to a PC yes that's right Canadian <laughs> dollars. Um, yeah, you don't need to hook it up to a PC or anything, and you right. can any person could just pick this up and run it as long as you have an internet connection. It's I think it's it's something that people will have in their homes. But I really like suggest everyone trying this because mm -hmm. here's the thing: I own a PlayStation, and I you know lately been playing a lot, and uh, it was fun, but it was the traditional fun. You're staring at the box and you're pushing the buttons. This one is a different dimension of experience, and I know I'm sort of late to the party of VR, but. Still, if I'm, I'm assuming a lot, a lot of people still haven't tried it, and I, and I highly suggest everyone just to try it to understand that when you're playing something in VR, it's a whole different uh, dimension. So that's that's I'm definitely gonna look into this because there's a lot of opportunities uh, besides just video gaming, but in general, just the vir virtual reality and augmented reality. Yeah, and they yeah. use it for so many different applications. It's not just gaming. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, there's psychologists that are using this now to help people with PTSD, mm -hmm. to help people who have uh, different phobias, so they give them exposure therapy. So if you're afraid of spiders, you can slowly be exposed mm -hmm. in an environment that's really, I mean, it feels very realistic at the time, but yeah. in, in reality, there's no risk to you. So like the boxing, you know, you, you fought someone, but uh, you, you came out okay. You didn't have any marks on you. you have no yeah, pain. I feel like, exactly. And uh, I actually scored uh, three three knockdowns and won by 
you know, <laughs> by a knockout, technical knockout, basically. But yeah, it's uh, it's funny, and I, it's sort of you're getting exposed right away of how bad you are at throwing a punch. So that's something that I'm self-conscious about now, and I'm definitely not going to play in front of anyone in the future, that's for sure. <laughs> but then that's the other thing that you notice, too, is that um, it, it's very realistic in terms of, and we had talked about this before, but you could be the heavyweight champion mm-hmm. of the gym, and you could look really impressive on the pads and on the bag and everything else, but when you, and maybe you're great, you, you've shown some real talent in sparring, but when you're in front of a live crowd, yeah. everything changes. And then you kind of get that exposure, right? Because you're in the mm-hmm. VR environment and there's people cheering and you see them reacting to the, the things that you're doing. It's pretty wild. Exactly. Speaking of boxing, you've mentioned to me when we were texting that you actually took one uh, amateur fight in your life and uh, you were preparing and that was a fight for charity. That was right here in Niagara Falls, uh, not far from here. Can you talk about more about that event in particular and you know how does the whole process works? Yeah, so the event actually, it's, it's to raise money for the MS Society of Niagara as well as a couple of other related organizations mm-hmm. that provide support for people with uh, MS. And, I'm sorry, what does MS? Uh, uh, multiple sclerosis. Okay. And so, um, which is a disease that's quite misunderstood and 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 um so i had a personal connection to as well my mom was diagnosed with ms mm-hmm. and the majority of people with ms don't have any visible symptoms but and i believe it's 80 percent they may have aches and pains and mm. there's uh there's challenges that they that they have mm-hmm. there's a lot more people that are affected by ms than most people may think mm-hmm. so uh they raise a tremendous amount it's it's an incredible event and it's held at a, a White Oaks Resort it's in Niagara the Lake, right close to Niagara Falls. Um, and usually it's about 1,500 people. The tickets sell out within minutes that they put them for sale online. And it's, it's just very well organized. Um, How do you get in? How do you apply for that? So they do an online application process if you would like to fight. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and typically, so they have a rating system. If you do have a personal connection, there's a higher likelihood. Mm. But they have to match you because these are proper... Proper amateur fights mm-hmm. in Ontario. You need a, a you get the boxing I heard license. It's very strict and, here. Yes, it's it's in, in in this province. It's 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 strict, and there's some really ridiculous rules. Yeah. But um, so you go through that, and then there's a proper training camp, mm-hmm. um, and they want to make sure that you know, you're not putting anything embarrassing in your social media, anything stupid like that, because this is an event that's about right, the community, right, 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 and you're there to raise to raise funds for a really great cause. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, I. So you had I, to go get a license. Uh, the, the the actual the organizers of the event take care of everything okay, for you. So that you don't have everything. to worry about the, the expectations that you're going to help to promote it. So is this something that you were wanting to do for a while, or is it just like a spontaneous decision? As a fan of boxing, I always wondered what is it like when mm-hmm. you are sitting, you know, backstage and there's a crowd. And you have to make the walk. What does that feel like? Mm-hmm. I've you know you watch your favorite boxer, your favorite fighters, and they go, and like I feel nervous for them. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that you felt that oh, many times. I I actually if if really like one of my buddies uh, fights or you know someone that I really admire, I can get into like a whole ass panic attack if you know something is not going according to the plan. <laughs> so what is it like to be in their shoes? Then, exactly. Right? Exactly. I always wondered what that was like. And then the preparation, the dedication. So I spent uh, eight months to get in shape. And then there was a 10-week fight camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went to Billy Irwin. He's a, a Canadian Olympian, a world champion. 
Um, he was at that time, he was the, in charge of the training for the event. So you had a proper fight camp sparring the whole nine yards and I'd never sparred someone before. Uh So all this is brand new to me. And I had a quite a bit of a reach advantage and my opponent, um, really great. How did you know about your opponent? Did they tell you right away? I didn't know them at all. Yeah. They, they, we got introduced at the first meeting where like, you know, they went over our expectations and the whole, the Uh whole process. We just, we met each other. So, um, which so who, who, we ended up becoming, uh, his name is Corey. He, we ended up becoming uh, good friends. He's such a great guy. Uh-huh. We punched each other in the face a bunch of times and we became great friends. But um, yeah. in the lead up, we both agreed, you know, we were going to, we, we wanted to promote the event. Right. And we were going to seriously fight each other, but mm-hmm. we were going to not be offended if we, we would like, you know, do like kind of the, it's not in the necessarily in the realm of boxing. Conor, Conor McGregor style promotion. <laughs> yeah, like the pro wrestling stuff, right? Like we were we were gonna do that and not be offended, you know, if we said things and and mm-hmm. we we had some really entertaining stuff back and forth and interesting. And actually when we went to the hotel, I, I went the night before and I, I I bought a pack of diapers and I got the hotel Ooh, to put that in his room with a mind, note. Mind games. There yeah, you to go. tell him, you know, you're gonna need this tomorrow night because in the middle <laughs> of the ring, when you're there and I'm I'm across the ring from you. Did he do anything in return? No, he didn't. He was actually well. He, yes, he did. It was the next night when he he returned fire in the ring. Oh, okay. So that's where he did. And uh, look at you, though. But it was quite. It was a. It was. <laughs> you're, you're savvy on the mind games. You know, due to your profession. That's what. That's it, what it, it, it was. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So, um, did did you come out victorious? No, and 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 here's what happened. So if you were to ask me. And I, I talk about this often. If you were to ask me in the customer experience uh, stuff, so a week before the fight, the day of the fight, are you going to win? I would have absolutely no doubt. Yes, I was going to win. I knew that fact. I didn't know if it was going to be the first, second, or third round, but I was going to win. And um, I walked into the fight and I ended up actually losing. So I was really hard on myself that night of thinking of all these things that I did wrong. Did you lose on points? Uh, no, it was actually stop in the third round. So if there's uh, two standing eight counts in the right, same round right. in the amateur fight, it's over. Right, and you don't have to like be on the canvas. No, like, they can no, just spark you, and they, it was, was going to be like it, a night count. It was so for me. It was if they throw ten punches, mm-hmm. and you don't return anything, mm-hmm. whether they're blocked or not, that gives you a standing eight count. So he just had two flurries, and mm-hmm. that was it. Mm-hmm. He caught me with some really good shots on the second one, though. Mm-hmm. But um, but so I was I'm hard on myself that night and. It wasn't until I had some time in hindsight to think, like, I didn't lose that night. I prepared for everything as best as I could, as I knew how at the time. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, I wasn't prepared for um, what happens if, like, and in sparring, I I did relatively well, I thought. Um, But what happens when you're being pressured and it feels like you're you're down a little bit? I Mm -hmm. wasn't ready for that. And that's what really broke me right so it was um so you mean like you're all of a sudden lost your concentration because you started thinking about oh i'm actually losing this fight yes and i couldn't i couldn't come back from that um so it was a a definitely a big lesson and and it was just experience so i didn't lose that night i lost in the preparation because i i I wasn't prepared for that moment Mm -hmm. so you say it's been it was in your head like in the ring, something snapped, and you just feel like it's like you're overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, it plays like, a big what, role. what's going on now? All of a sudden, you know, actually, it started in the first round. I I slipped, but everything is happening so fast, and it's the first time. There's 1,500 people watching me. All my friends right, are there. Right, right, right. I slipped, and I was on the canvas. I had no idea. It was actually a, a push. So the ref is like, push, right? Um, and I didn't even know what happened because it all happened so fast. I thought like I got knocked down. Oh. 
and yeah. and right from there my confidence boom destroyed right see yeah that's i always hear you know people who call the fights they talk about like oh he's very composed you know like the fighter and how important it is you know allows from uh your point of view like speaking f- with you like i now understand like how important it is not to be only physically prepared but also mentally prepared mm-hmm. and and, com- and maintain that composure yeah but that's amazing that's just even the fact that you went to the fight and i mean win or lose it's for charity you know either way both right. of you guys win and this event is just really great i i don't know i i don't think i don't it's ballsy it's ballsy you know to step in the ring like that but it gives you a totally different respect and appreciation and yes. admiration for any of the professionals and I actually, in, in hindsight, I feel bad for some of the things. So like we, like I said, we were doing the WWE thing, right? Like just for promotion and that, but mm-hmm. it was a real fight. But, um, so my opponent's cornerman was Billy Irwin and, and, you know, I was kind of doing the Ric Flair thing. Like he went to like shake my hand and I like pulled back and it was all for like the, the fun yeah, of, yeah, yeah. and I don't mean that, you know, I have such a, a massive, massive respect for anybody who's legitimately in the sport, mm-hmm. the real boxers and athletes. Um, and, and it takes your appreciation level to a whole, whole different, uh, a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Um, when you actually experience that and see the level that they're at and the dedication and, and the skill that they have is, is so tremendous and the respect. So I would never, uh, afterwards, it'd be difficult for me to criticize any boxer, anybody who, who makes the walk and and steps in the ring they have all of my respect it's it's uh it's tremendous like what they do so 100 percent agree with you yeah you know and, and on this note i would just like to thank you so much for coming into my show it was uh, an amazing experience talking to you because uh, customer success and uh, client care is something that i was always uh, passionate about and it was great to speak with the true professional and on top of that thanks for showing me the game and of course Thank you for this uh, wonderful book from Mindless to Mindful. Uh, please, everyone, uh, check it out. And uh, uh, where can they purchase it right now if they want to? Uh, so in the U.S., Barnes & Noble, uh, Canada, uh, Indigo, Chapters, uh, Amazon, any of the retail outlets um, will have it. And, of course, now online is the biggest thing. So, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And uh, is there any services that you would like to promote? Please go ahead and do it if, if there is anything in terms of your consulting. Uh, how can people reach out to you and find you and contact you? Sure, yeah. It's uh, uh, experience M2M. So letter M, number two, letter M. It's the worst URL we could have <laughs> ever possibly picked because it's so difficult, especially like people ask me for my emails, like Jesse at experience M2M. So experience M2M, maybe you can like put a link in or something, mm-hmm. but uh, it outlines our services I'll put a link and for keynote sure. speaking and everything else. So um, yeah, okay. it's, it's something that incredibly passionate about and uh, really really enjoy so also thank you very much um, my pleasure yeah yeah no it's uh, it's my pleasure to be here and and also uh, really enjoyed participating so yeah it was it's a great experience because this whole setup is uh, is also new so it was great uh, on like testing it and I feel like it turned out all right but thank you so much uh, and uh, I, I really appreciate it Jesse so I hope to. I hope that you're gonna come back and we're gonna do this again sometime. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can talk about. You know, we talked about um, these events and that. And there's a lot that's going on around these types of events, like the Mike Tyson mm-hmm. event that just happened, the exhibitions, and and people in boxing feel different ways. And I think that we could uh, have a really great conversation about some of those things. So you know, it's funny. Yeah, I was thinking about that as well, and I think that's definitely a great subject for the next uh, podcast with you. Is um, customer satisfaction for a boxing fan 
Yes, yeah, there's... their expectations and what they're getting right now. Because I honestly think there's a lot of things that the you know different event management organizations and promotion companies can work on. And I'm sure you have your opinion on that as well. So yeah, yeah that'd be awesome. Discuss that. That's All great. Right. Looking awesome. forward to it. Here's a little teaser for y'all. <laughs> Here we go. We're coming right. back at you for sure. All right, Jesse. Thank you so much. Bye.